Well, hello everybody. Welcome back to the Bowtie Podcast. I'm Kevin Neal. Uh, I'm Head of Science at Crestwood Community School. I'm going to be going through you through the next half hour or so, talking about science and latest developments in science. I'm going to be joined this week by two guests. Returning guest, Miss Bax, Katie Bax, who is my second department on the Sherba campus. And also this week joining us is Rachel O'Loughlin, my second department on the Shakespeare campus. And they're going to be providing us with some articles they found from the exciting world of scientific discoveries. So, uh, hi guys. Uh, if you want to introduce yourself to everyone. Hi, I'm Katie Bax. I'm second in science on the Sherbrooke campus. Hi, I'm Rachel O'Loughlin. I'm second in science on the Shakespeare campus. Fantastic. Right. So uh, as last week, uh, we're going to be talking about science for the next 20 minutes or so. And um, before we do that, though, how are you guys getting on with lockdown? Rachel, how are you finding it? Um, it's not been too bad, actually. It's, it's getting a bit tiresome now. It's into the second week. Um, I'm finding a schedule's helping. So trying to do kind of a bit of a routine, especially in the mornings to get up and get active and get going. But yeah, we're getting there, doing a lot of baking. And a lot of lot of activities and stuff, so it's quite good fun. Okay, that's good. What about you, Katie? Yeah, same really. A timetable really, really helps. Uh, and just trying to keep busy, really. It's pretty good. Not too bad, not too crazy at the moment. Uh, that's good. I think for me it settled down a little bit. Last week was um manic and really hard and the kids were all over the place. But this week they seem to have got used to being around each other and used to being at home. So they kind of like got ourselves into a little routine, a little pattern, but not really a timetable yet. I think that's something I might need to work on after Easter, I think. But um yeah, yeah, it's okay. Right then, so um we've got articles that we're gonna talk about for um science and the latest discoveries we found online so rachel as you are our new guest this week would you like to start yeah okay so i found a really interesting article about growing your own fruit and veg have either of you ever grown any fruit or veg at home no i've always wanted to though uh, i used to sorry go on yeah, I used to. I, I, well, not in our own house, but at the time we were living in a flat, so we didn't have a garden. And um, my nan had a really big garden, and half of it she was she was getting too old to do gardening. So we took over half a half a basic back garden, which was huge, and we we planted all kinds of things. It was great. It was really good, like broad beans, runner beans, carrots, potatoes. We did, we did the works, but some were more successful than others, I have to say. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've got a really small garden here, but we love growing loads of different veg in the summer, spring and summertime. Um, the article I found was talking about um, urban areas in cities and if just 10% of a city's gardens, urban spaces and um, any green areas were actually converted to growing fruit and vegetables, it can provide the local population, 15% of the local population with five a day of fruit and veg. So. I thought it's quite relevant at the moment with lots of people being stuck at home. They can get into their gardens, but they can't really do much else. So I just thought it would be a good conversation to have about growing your own veg, the health benefits, and just really thinking about global benefits as well. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you can, I mean, you, you, people can't go out to the shop to buy seeds, but you can actually buy seeds and things online from yeah, like Amazon. Also, like that. Yeah, yeah, supermarkets as well, Tesco's, you know, the big yeah, supermarkets. Yeah. They'll have seeds, um, yeah, for sale for sure, definitely. 
Um, so fruits and veg as well. If you just cut them at the right space, then they will regrow. We do that in the um, in the Martian topic with potatoes. Yeah, I was going to mention potatoes in the Martian topic, definitely. And a lot of free, food scraps can actually be used to, to grow from. So that's a good thing to Google, have a look at online and see what you can actually do at home. Even if you don't have a garden, even if you've got a patio or a balcony or even a windowsill, there's loads of different things you can grow. And it's, it's not just kind of the mental health benefits and the physical benefits of kind of like working a garden outside. It's also the educational benefits, mm. children about how plants grow, that kind of thing. There's so much that can be learned from it. And I was so, doing some research. There's a large number of kids out there who, who literally don't know where a carrot comes from or yeah. where. <laughs> that's really scary. It is scary, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I was looking into when I did a bit more research. This article was from the University of Sheffield, so it's it's a particular uh, focus they've had just on that city. But I mean, across the UK, the amount of fruit and veg we actually import is massive. So the data is a little bit old, but in 2015, we imported 3.1 billion pounds worth of fruit and 2.1 billion pounds worth of vegetables from a range of other countries, quite a lot from the EU. But it's a massive amount that we could actually be producing in our country. And if we think about how that's been transported to us, the carbon footprint, the global impacts, yeah, absolutely. climate change, all of that is absolutely massive. And you don't have to go very far back in time to a point where we did grow a lot of our own stuff here and we couldn't get stuff that was out of season. So it's kind of, yeah, it's one to think about and it might be something that takes on. I would really hope it is. There's a huge well, veg revolution at the moment. So I read, yeah, I read, a, I read a thing about um, saying because of the lack of flights at the moment and yeah. with Brexit, the workers who would normally come over here to pick all of our fruit and veg to for the supermarkets because also the stuff that we would export, they're not here. So yeah. there's literally there's literally no one out there to to pick the fruit and vegetables. So we're talking about possibly huge food shortages. Uh, later this year so if people were much more adept at growing their own fruit and veg that would take a bit of the burden off that as well i think yeah, it definitely would do i just i'm not sure how easy it would be get be to like get the general population growing their own veg i think now is probably the best time of any to get people interested in it and to have some kind of national push on it but i don't know some people are quite put off of growing their own but actually it's really quite easy and it's quite fun and, you know, some people, we're very lucky in this day and age, we can go, well, usually go to the supermarket and buy fruits and veg from anywhere in the world at any time, out of season, doesn't matter, we can go and get that. Would people be so happy to just have what's in season and just have what can be grown locally? I'm not sure. That's what but, I was thinking. Doing this may actually change the way that people think about the food that they yeah. choose and therefore choose stuff that's more in season. And that could have an effect on the global warming ever as well. Yeah. I think the implications are massive. Sooner or later, there's going to have to be a change, isn't there? I mean, it's, it's unsustainable. It's not sustainable. This this way that we've been having strawberries in the winter time and things. It, yeah. it's, it's it's a great luxury, but actually, from a from a global climate change type point of view and just a world economic point of view, I just don't think it's really sustainable. Yeah, yeah, it actually could be something really positive to come out of the situation we're in at the moment, and it kind of gets people working together because if you're going to have an allotment you're going to need to do that with people you're going to need to get like family members involved it's just a much yeah. I don't know the way of, of being with family and doing something positive and productive and a feeling a sense of achievement as well when you know when Alfie's out in the garden and he's picking veg 
in the summer and autumn time and then we're cooking it it's just really nice mm. hopefully it's something positive to come out yeah that'd be amazing yeah, yeah. Well, okay article as well it's talking about uh, using hydroponic systems on like flat roofs yeah. and patios and things and i just thought that was really interesting too yeah definitely most any space that can get light really is is usable so yeah Awesome stuff. And that, that was published in uh, the journal um, Nature Food. Yeah, Did Nature Food, yeah. Nature. Study done by University of Sheffield yeah. and published in Nature Food, yeah. Amazing. In March this year, so it's like brand yeah, new. Yeah, no, very relevant, 17th of March, yeah. Fantastic. All right. Okay, so uh, Katie, what have you got for us? Uh, so I was reading a article from the Nature Neuroscience Journal, and it's about how machines translate brainwaves into sentences, which is pretty awesome. Sorry, Poppy just decided to play with a bottle. Hold on. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so scientists in America have made a huge step forward in this field, and they're translating brainwaves uh, in real time with an error of just uh, 3%, I think it was. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing. It's not new technology because scientists have been working on this for ages now. But the fact that it's now in real time with a really low error rate uh, is absolutely fantastic. So run us through what it actually is. But... Uh, so the way they've done it is they've uh, put uh, electrodes onto volunteers' heads and got them to read uh, a set of 30 to 50 sentences and they mapped the brain waves to track where the vowels and the consonants are even the messages that go to the mouth to shape those sounds so they can use those brain wave patterns to translate into real speech wow so would, would that be something that perhaps would have a lot of benefit for people with uh, say like what Stephen Hawking had with um, ALS. Exactly. Sort of. So uh, Stephen Hawking, he lost the powers of his speech, as you guys know. And when it first happened, he was using a trigger-based system. So he had to use his hands to select the uh, uh, the different syllables, etc. Yeah. Then he lost the use of that. And then he had to use a, another system where it tracked the movements of his eyes to a computer. The problem with that is that it wasn't real time. People had to wait for him to form the sentences and then the computer to actually speak it, which must have been a huge source of frustration. I don't know if any of you guys have ever uh, tried to hold a conversation with someone who's lost the power of their speech, but it's it's so frustrating. Things like Huntington's disease and Parkinson's disease have a huge effect on people's ability to speak. And if we can perfect this sort of technology where effectively all they have to do is wear a cap and you can have a full time, a, a real time conversation with these people. It would, it would just change so many lives. Yeah, absolutely, it's life changing. So this basically, they it's just picking up on the brainwave patterns when they're thinking about speaking and what they want to say. At the moment, they're doing it. Uh, they're tracking it when the people are physically speaking. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the impl it's implied that the implication will be that you can just think about speaking and then the computer will be able to map it out for you and then the computer can actually physically say what you want to say. Wow, that's amazing. That is incredible. And I think you know, for, for people who can't speak and... Uh, uh, <laughs> The ability we, we take for granted the ability to communicate. We just, you know, we wake up in the morning and, and we talk. But for for those who can't do it, it must be incredibly frustrating 
for them. So this kind of technology is is a game changer for them, really. Absolutely, and they're really, really confident with this data because they've uh, trans they've managed to transfer it from one volunteer to another, proving that it's actually the same patterns of speech that uh, sorry same patterns of brainwaves that people use for speech so it can be transferable the system won't have to be retrained on every single person which will speed it up no end absolutely and a, a word error rate of three percent i'm not even sure i get <laughs> better no, than three percent yeah exactly <laughs> when i speak so that's pretty that's pretty impressive I, I will be very interested to see how they transfer it amongst different languages as well yeah it'll be really interesting at the moment it's quite a small um set of volunteers it's just one area in america i cannot remember what state it's in but still if they've got it down to an error of three percent the possibilities are endless really mm, yeah, fantastic okay right then so i thought i'd do something different this week i've Read, read an article this week about uh, a physicist who was um, it was an Australian uh, astrophysicist and he was trying to invent a device to keep people from touching their faces because obviously at the moment with the coronavirus pandemic touching your face is not uh, advised at all nope. <laughs> and in the process he managed to end up with four neodymium magnets stuck up his nose <laughs> 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 and had to go to hospital um so I, I thought <laughs> it's crazy so I, I thought i would look up some other um crazy um physicists are doing stupid things so i found this article which has an uh in physics world uh which is a physics magazine which has a, a list of stories about physicists doing things that are a little bit uh crazy so a bit late for april fools and things but still <laughs> so, um there's this there's a story here about uh a guy i'm not going to mention any names but if you remember back in 2014, there was the ice bucket challenge. Yeah. Remember doing that when everyone was raising money for motor neuron disease and things and everyone was pouring buckets of icy water over their head. Well, this guy thinking he was uh, going to do something different rather than using ice water, he decided he was going to pour liquid nitrogen over his head. What? Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, he announced it on camera um, and they filmed it and he warned everyone, don't do this, it's extremely dangerous, but we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> um, there's, actually a, there's a video of this online uh, where he pours a substantial qu quantity of steaming liquid nitrogen <laughs> over his head. Amazingly, um, he didn't require hospital treatment, but oh. in, in the video he is dancing around screaming about how cold it is while, <laughs> while trying frantically to remove the 77 Kelvin temperature liquid oh. from his hair t-shirt and shorts, which are frozen solid. So uh, not the smartest of things I can imagine. He's very lucky he wasn't seriously hurt. Yeah. I kind of have visions of, of the baddie in Terminator 2 where he kind of gets frozen by the liquid nitrogen. <laughs> A professional physicist with a professional job. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, another story. This, this this one's not quite so so uh, crazy, but basically, scientists have accidentally dumped a whole load of tardigrades on the moon. Um, <laughs> so they 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 were sending a, a, a probe up to the moon uh, uh, to study study the the moon, and and there was a. On, on board this aircraft, they had um, some tardigrades. 
uh, commonly known as water bears, and they're like they can survive almost anywhere in the most extreme environments on Earth. They can even survive in the vacuum of space. However, during the landing process, uh, the malfunction caused the engines, the craft's engines, to shut down, and it crashed onto the lunar surface. And the the, the ten thousand tardigrades sprayed all over the surface of the moon. So we have accidentally populated the moon with a living being so the moon is no longer uninhabited it is actually inhabited by 10,000 tardigrades however no one's quite sure whether they're actually alive or not but given the fact that they can survive in the most extreme conditions um well you know even the tiniest amount of water on the surface of the moon would probably be enough to resurrect them because they were actually kept in a dehydrated state Mm. but you know so yeah so actually earth is no longer the only populated planet in the solar system at, at the moment i love it they've colonized the moon are they like yeah <laughs> with, with, with the with the toughest thing on planet earth <laughs> um and fine finally i've got a story here about uh and and this this is again is a physicist you, you question their their sanity here so there was a a physicist who made a name for himself in particle physics. Uh, he was very well respected, but not, not a famous physicist, but just quite well respected from the University of North Carolina in America. At the age of 71, this physicist decided he was then going to travel to Bolivia in hopes of meeting a Czech-born lingerie model <laughs> who, who he had been corresponding over the internet. When he got to, when he got to the Czech Republic, um, he uh, when he got to Bolivia, sorry, he um, no his the lady he was going to meet was nowhere to be seen. Um, but he did, t- but someone did turn up and meet him and requested that he carry her suitcase to Buenos Aires, Argentina. Mm-hmm. He he then he did this um, only for him to arrive in Buenos Aires with a suitcase full of two kilograms of cocaine. <laughs> thought that's supposed to happen. <laughs> um, and uh, no one's quite sure exactly how much he knew. Um, he, he maintains his innocence. Um, uh, and obviously this, this lady was a fraudster who has never been found. But so, uh, an article in the New York Times uncovered some secret text messages, which kind of implicates that perhaps he knew more about this and he was letting on. Uh, he he claimed later in a trial um, that uh, the text messages were jokes and he wasn't in on it. But some of the things um, he said was like, um, this stuff is worth nothing in Bolivia, but millions in Europe, that type of stuff. So it kind of looks like a little bit suspicious. But you think you think being being a very well-educated physicist with a great reputation in particle physics, the guy would have known a little bit better, really. Ignorance is not yeah. an excuse. No, absolutely no. So I, I just thought I just thought they were kind of like crazy stories to show that just because you're a smart scientist doesn't mean you're not going to be doing stupid stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, there are three articles this week. So uh, off off of science for a second. So what? How have you guys been entertaining yourself this week? I I have been watching a range of TV shows and reading a few books. So what, Rachel? What have you been up to? Um. Well, my husband started watching the Marvel, all the Marvel films back from the beginning. So I'm kind of dipping in and out of those. There's still a few I haven't seen. I still haven't, which ones haven't I seen? I haven't seen Captain Marvel. 
but that's, oh, okay. quite, far along. that's quite far along isn't it in there yeah the it's quite near the end yeah we're not quite that far up yet and so yeah so we're working our way through those trying to do one every evening or every other evening so yeah catching up on that at the moment uh sounds like an amazing use of time to me <laughs> What about you, Katie? Uh, I've been reading a book called One of Us is Lying, which is very interesting. I know that there's going to be loads of twists and turns in it, and I cannot work out where it's going. And it's annoying me a little bit because I usually have some sort of idea. Uh, I'm trying to brush up on my French skills uh, using the Duolingo app, which is pretty, hopefully, going pretty well. Uh, Mr. Tully's helping me out with that as well every now and again. So that's pretty good. Other than that, just watching lots of cooking shows feeling bad about my standard of cooking <laughs> okay well that sounds great i've been uh watching uh the mandalorian continuing that on disney plus which is a new star wars show um i've also started watching the vikings on amazon prime um it's the six there's six seasons on there so it's quite a lot to work through um but it, yeah it's been really good so far it's kind of like a, a slightly more historical version of um games of thrones really quite violent and uh, uh, but but based more in real world history than sort of dragons and things it's, it, but it's yeah it's really really good and obviously better call soul i've been keeping up with that and yeah watching lots of uh, marvel films with my with ethan so yeah that's kind of how i've been filling my time in between doing work and and you know contact with students and things like that awesome yeah. Okay. So thank you very much, guys. I appreciate your time. I will let you go. Fun fact. Oh, yes. Miss Back's fun fact. I keep on forgetting that every time. Miss Back's fact of the week. Go on, then, Miss Back's. Take it away. Uh, so, science facts for this week there is enough DNA in the average person's body to stretch from the sun to Pluto and back 17 times. What? 17 tonight. That is my so for those of you that don't really know, uh, DNA is the code that's inside everybody and is found in every single one of your cells, except for the red blood cells, because they don't contain a nucleus. And each cell contains 23 DNA molecules called chromosomes. Each of these contain 500,000 to 2.5 million nucleotide pairs. And when you uncoil them, they're between 1.7 and 8.5 centimeters long. So an average of 5.1 centimeters. And you have about 37 trillion cells in your body. So if you're uncoiled and placed all of the chromosomes end to end, it would be 200 trillion meters. That's 14 zeros. Thank you, Miss Plum. Uh, enough for 17 round trips to Pluto. And also, wow. second. As well, if you made a second person's DNA out next to the first, only 0.02% would be different. That's that, that that zero point two percent accounts for all the differences between two individual yeah, people. Yeah, hair color, eye color, physique. Yeah, yeah. everything. Great, incredible. Wow, that is amazing. Well, thank you very much, guys. I've learned some amazing new things today. I think I'm going to go find some seeds and start planting yeah, some fruit definitely. and veg in the back garden. I'm going to try not to get some neodymium magnets stuck up, stuck up my nose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very thank much. You. Bye, Bye, guys. Bye. So thank you for joining us. That's the end of episode two. I hope you have learned something new today or found what we talked about interesting. If you have any questions that you'd like to have answered, please email them to myself 
uh, at kevin.neil at crestwood.hands.sch.uk and I will endeavour to try and find the answers and get back to you on the next episode of the Bowtie Podcast. Take care of yourself, stay safe, stay indoors, take care. <laughs>